Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Morning, everybody. Welcome, everybody, online. Glad you're here at the off-season second service here. And I hope everybody's enjoying this quiet time. We just kind of had an off-season day yesterday, just kind of chilled out. It was kind of nice. But um, anyway, glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We uh, are getting close to finishing up our series in the book of Revelation. So if you're tuning in or you're here this morning for uh, the first time, we're going to be in Revelation 19 and 20. And uh, I, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're going to be diving into some deep stuff, but we're going to circle around, hopefully make sense of some of this, and hopefully, as every Sunday, spark some interest in the Word of God, some hunger, right, to dive in with uh, this amazing book, obviously, that God has given us so much here that requires digging. It requires wrestling with and pursuing, and He promises to bring uh, great revelation. So let me uh, just pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, um, make us hungry. Make us hungry for your word. Uh, Lord, we don't have to defend it. Love that. uh, It's just to let the line out. Lord, let your word come forth like a mighty roar, just uh, speaking boldly into the depth of our heart. Um, Let those seeds plant in our heart, Lord, and increase our hunger for the truth of God, Lord. Father, drop the veil, Lord, that fogginess, That apathy, Lord, that uh, we all wrestle with, Lord, that just sends us into a lull, Lord, where there isn't a zeal, a hunger to get up and to get in your word and to hear your word and be in fellowship with others, wrestling with your word, Lord. Um, Give us a hunger to hear. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll come and bring your word powerfully into our hearts. Speak to us, convict us, encourage us. Lord, bring your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I am sure that, uh, um, well, I'm going to just generalize, but I'm assuming that um, most of you have grown up and uh, at some time or another in your uh, youth, someone hits you with the question, so what are you going to do with your life? And, um, and maybe it came in a negative way like that, hey, what are you going to do with your life? Which, you know, subtly saying you're not doing anything with it. Um, but, uh, I think the other more important question is, boy, did anybody come alongside you with the big question like that? What are you going to do with your life? And did they come alongside you to help you see who you are, how God has uniquely gifted you, your place, your role, your unique, you among, in the whole universe, there'll never be anybody like you. God created you in his image, has a glorious plan for your life. And, um, let's pursue what that is together. Now that's going to couch this entire morning. uh, And I just want to to just kind of hinge upon this is the power of the gospel. We're to be a gospel-centered people. What Jesus has done on the cross for us, that good news that transforms our life, transforms the world. We're to be people of the gospel. Um, It's the gospel plus nothing else. Everything you need to be completely whole, healthy, and to complete Everything God created you complete is found in the gospel. Um, Not to say there's not other things out there, but it's whole. It's complete. It needs nothing else. God's word says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Um, It's a matter of faith and God's people getting hungry for the word and going after it. Right? Locking arms with each other to take take hold of that. 
um, as we've been seeing in this book, it highlights the need for God's people to be a prophetic people. What do I mean by that? Um, it's the only gift. First, when the body gathers together, the exhortation is to seek and especially that you may prophesy. And that word might seem weird to you. It means that I want to bring encouragement, exhortation um, to others. Is that God uses me with, to get the word of God, the truth of God, especially his gospel, to bring it to other people to build them up in the faith. And that is why we are to gather together. Is I can't just get where I need to get having my quiet little devotion on my own. It is never that way. The entire Bible is written to you, plural, the church, interacting in community together. And we need each other. And we need that encouragement. There's times where we really need encouragement, right? We need a word. We need God to speak through us. And, and I'll share some here in the end of what that looks like in just a couple of examples in my life. Um, but this is what the body of Christ is to do. And it's because when God gives us revelation about how he saved us, how he loves us, how he sees us, right? Is that um, he wants that to move to a place of health so we can be a vessel, right? To bring that encouragement, step into others' lives, walk alongside them. This is the core of discipleship, walking with somebody that they might come into the full understanding of how God loves them, how he's created them, the plan he has for their life, their uniqueness. And so they could carry out their role Right in the church and in the world and in their entire life, right for the glory of God. So, this morning we're going to step into this grand, big, epic story of the world. And uh, if, well, what am I going to do with my life? It's important that I understand which side. Uh, I'm on in this big game, right? It's going to be important that I understand my role, right, in the big story that is happening in the history of the world. Every great movie, every great story you've ever read, it has the gospel in it. As we're going to read here, every great epic story, everything. And what we can see in so many, even, even modern movies now and everything, is this repeated theme, right, which is something like, you have a person who's down and out, they're lost, they're rebellious, they're running, they're trying to find their way in life, and all of a sudden, some eye-opening experience happens to them, and ah, they come into this glorious understanding of who they really are, and then they start to conquer the world, right, under this new identity, this new heritage. That permeates Right, everything. All of our children that watch Marvel, all the at the core of all that is the idea of a superhero that I'm. I got a bigger destiny than I even know or imagine. Right, um, all of this, folks. Every great epic story that's in the world, and it's built. It's the same across all cultures and people and everything else of um, those main themes. And folks, all of that is the gospel showing us really that in history there is a grand story going on. There's an epic. A story bigger than we'd ever imagined going on. And the book of Revelation is rolling this out. The end of the Bible. God's giving us to us to mine it, to study it, to squeeze out of it, to come before God prophetically. Lord, speak to me. Give me insight. Give me wisdom in, into your word uh, that I may grow deep right inside your word. And so uh, what I, I want to show this morning in looking at some uh, part of this great end of the story uh, is to really pull out for us the power of the gospel. It is the gospel itself, right, that actually sets us inside God's story. It's the gospel itself that gives us an understanding of who we are. And, uh, and just three key things, we'll come back to these at the end, 
Um, I'll put them up on the screen. The first one is this, that the gospel, folks, it is um, what reveals to us our true identity. The only thing in all the world that's going to tell you, has the ability to tell you who you truly are, how you're truly made, how you're truly loved and cherished and everything else is the gospel of Jesus. Nothing else you do in life is going to be able to come close. Nothing. Every deep heart issue anyone has about needing to be affirmed or loved or understand who they are, their place in the world, the gospel answers every one of those questions. Every one. And the second aspect of the gospel is that the gospel, it actually secures us in the family of God. We talked about this last week at Easter, that because of what Jesus has done for us with his death, his resurrection, he secured a place for us at his table. He has set a place at the table waiting for you because God wants you with him, right? In his kingdom for eternity uh, with him. He's created you uniquely, you. He wants a relationship with you. And the gospel answers all those questions we have about where we belong. And just, do do I have a tribe? Do I have a place I belong? Especially in light of our culture and all the trauma, the fractured families, the the hurt, the pain, and everything else. The gospel is the only thing that not only heals all that, but also resets, right, um, the love of God and a place in the eternal family of God for each of us. That God's adopted us, right, into his family. Again, the gospel is complete, Any question I have dealing with any of those belonging issues, family issues, the gospel answers that that issue. And the final one is that the gospel, folks, it transforms us so that we might rule and reign with Jesus now and into eternity. And this is where we stall out oftentimes with the gospel in understanding our role of how we are to live now under this new identity, under this being saved, or what the abundant life actually looks like. And we're going to get into that heavy uh, this morning in um, Revelation. So this morning is is this idea of the millennium in your life. And uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of theology at you. Folks, don't get overwhelmed. Um, I'm just going to, obviously we're just scratching the surface here, is... um, the goal of this, the goal, one of the goals of preaching is to ultimately exalt Jesus, exalt God and his word and stay true to his word. And it is to be a seed to spark hunger in people's hearts to want more, to get hungry for the truth of God, for the gospel of God, and to go at it as we walk in discipleship, as we break it down into smaller groups. And so my encouragement to you is don't just discount it. Man, if we get into something this morning, you're like, what? You know, is use that as an opportunity to make a note. Go get with somebody. Call us. Have a coffee. Dive in. Ask God. Continue. We're to be people of the word, of the book. And we've gotten far away from that um, today. The journey of God's word, God's people stepping into God's word, it is to be this radical transformation of I'm more concerned, God, about what you say than about what I think. I want that to sink in. I need to move into this transformed life following God is I'm more concerned about what God, what you say than what I think or feel. That is the only way we're going to move into a transformed a position with God and where the gospel takes hold, our culture is doing just the opposite, is valuing you, what you think and feel over the truth. 
That has to shift. And that is part of why we gather together, exalt the word of God, and try to rock. And this is why the spirit of God comes and brings conviction, right? To wake us up in those things. All right, so before I read the text, let me just give us a little, uh, a little background here to wrestle with, okay? Now, we're talking about the millennium. How many of you have studied or heard about the millennium, the thousand years that the end of the Bible speaks about, okay? So, um, there's three primary views on this. Now, here's what's very important to understand is that these are not, uh, in other words, you have churches, you have people who believe and are convinced by one of those three options of how we understand these two chapters, okay? Uh, as well as they, how they interact with the rest of the Bible. Um, there is nothing wrong. Orthodox Christianity uh, is that all those are just fine. This is, this is not, these are not, this isn't an issue that is, Um, an essential doctrine of Christianity. There is room for us to engage and wrestle with. This stuff is here so that the Spirit and the Word would stir up God's people to press into the Word of God. And the Scripture promises as the end comes close, right, that the Spirit of God is going to give greater revelation to God's people who are seeking it. That's why the book of Revelation is the only book that comes with a promise to those who keep it, read it, and hear it, hold on to it, is that they will get, God will come with greater revelation, right? He says, ask, seek, knock, and he promises he will deliver, right? And so all of this is, is man's theological uh, attempts to try to understand right now how this pieces together. Um, so premillennialism, I'm willing to bet most of you have been impacted by that view. If you've read the Left Behind series, watched those movies, uh, your church that you grew up um, in, if you grew up in a non-denominational church, most likely this is the view that basically says that um, when Jesus uh, returns and he will start a thousand year reign on this earth. And uh, at the end of that, there'll be another uh, Armageddon type battle where the in- in- enemy will be released again to rally the nations before the ultimate new heavens and new earth come into being. Um, that's the pre-mill position. The post-mill position is a position, um, fewer people hold this view. Uh, this view would say that um, the church throughout history is going to get involved in culture through politics and other things and bring reform and transformation to different areas of culture. And we're going to usher in a golden age uh, in, uh, of Christianity in the world. Well, that thing ebbs and flows according to with how history goes. Few hold to that position anymore. The people who kind of dabble in it are any of those who um, talk about transforming uh, culture. In other words, who really mobilize the church to go out and get politically, let's go change that legislation. Let's go and let's change this culture over here, you know, type of thing. Um, that is more post-millennialism. Amillennialism is the one probably that's held to mostly throughout history. If you're a part of any high church, reformed church, amill means no millennium, which means, um, and there's different pieces of all this. Uh, this is the position I, for the longest time, were, was pre-mill. And I'm going to explain to you why, just very briefly, why I feel after really diving into this book again, that I, I, I'm leaning here not Amil, but inaugurated millennialism, meaning that when Jesus at his resurrection is that there was a binding put on Satan, which we see in different places in the New Testament. 
and that he brought in, ushered in a millennial period of time that his church now is what? Our great commission is to go what? Make disciples of all nations. And as we're going to read here in Revelation, it says that Jesus, that God put a restriction on the enemy to not be able to deceive the nations for a thousand years. Um, because the role of, we see in the Old Testament and we see in the very end, is the role, ultimate role of the enemy is to rally the nations against the kingdom of God, especially against Zion, against right, the city of God and the people of God around the world who are united. And um, so I inaugurated millennium is that Jesus had his resurrected, inaugurated, brought in this period of time uh, that we're in right now, the church age. And at the end, as we saw a few weeks ago, again, I'm just giving you some things to hopefully seek on your own. In Thessalonians, it says, in the end, the restrainer will be lifted back. And the man of lawlessness will be exposed. The Antichrist, the one world leader, as we're going to read about the beast who, who couples apostate religion with political power in the end. These will be allowed to come to power and unite the nations again in the end. And what we'll read about the second coming of Jesus, he comes and that one battle, the battle of Gog and Magog. Maybe you heard that terminology from the Old Testament in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, or in uh, chapter 16 of Revelation is the other multiple reasons why, but there's only one final battle. To hold their pre-mill position, there's multiple problems where you have to actually have two battles. And uh, when Jesus comes, it's finished. It's done. And, um, and this is just a few of the reasons. And I'm going to read this text and explain it as I go um, that I think is much more in line with how, Paul, how John received the revelation and the simplicity of seeing how all this is going to happen in the end, but as always, you seek the word of God. You seek the truth of God and all this. And you might be sitting there going, well, God, why does any of that matter? Right? Yeah, I would just say, if that is welling up in you at all, I would just say, be careful. That's the enemy's voice trying to say to you that this is just not that important. And that will lead you into a very dangerous place, right? To be able to discount, right, the word of God that he gave here for his people to hold, to seek, and to come into greater understanding of what God is doing now and ultimately, clearly, right, in the future. And we're going to see um, through the deception, right, that's in the world that moves people into an apathetic position. So any time that I'm confronted with what the Bible says, I'm overwhelmed by the confusion of it, and I just say, ah, oh, I'm going to just step back from that, realize that you are in the midst of spiritual warfare and in the midst of the enemy trying to persuade you to step back. There's more important things. Or I just need to stay on the basics, right? Is Those are all lies. There's nothing healthy in any of that. Is God's, if he saved you, if he, the spirit of God is in you, he wants the entire word of God to be cherished by you and to reveal it to you and for you to be a seeker of the truth and to live this right word out in a bold and powerful way. This, what we're going to read, is the grand story. This is the, the, the end. This is, this is the glorious end of the story that God has given us. This is part of your heritage if you know Jesus. And if it's not, then uh, it raises the question of, wow, well, I, I need to seek him. Where do I stand in this grand epic story? Which side am I on? Which side am I listening to? Which side is forming my identity? Right? Ultimately, all some radically big questions, ultimately. So, with that said, let me jump, jump in here. We're going to go starting in verse, nine, uh, verse 11 of chapter 19 of Revelation. Last week, if you were here for Easter, we talked about 
the beginning of chapter 19 in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right, This grand and glorious promise that Jesus promised his children that, man, it's going to be a party like none other because God has set a place. He's going to prepare a place for you with him. And there's going to be this glorious reunion, this glorious celebration with our Lord, our Savior, and with the body, the family of God. And I would just say this boldly as I can. If I'm kind of stepping back from seeing the importance of rallying together in fellowship with the body of Christ, is that this is going to just reveal in my heart that, um, boy, I'm missing something of the Lord here, right? His, his, his promises, he is about bringing the whole church, right, together. And the church is to model that now, that expectation of that fellowship. And um, the other thing, before I read, is you're going to see that, and we've talked about this in understanding apocalyptic and, and prophetic language, is it's not chronological. This is real important, is that we come to this as Westerners with a very, we want to read things very chronological, well, this, then this, and this. And that is not how prophecy works. That's not how apocalyptic language, that's not how a Hebrew person, a Jewish person even thinks, right? According, So we have to set our, we have to do the work to set our understanding submitted to how the word of God was originally brought and originally given to the early Jews in the first part of the church, right? To understand that. And so Revelation itself, as we've been going through this book, we see there's a lot of recapitulation. It's not just chronological, but um, prophecy works that way as it did in the Old Testament is things are given, right? That uh, And then they're given the same things are given again, but just with a whole new understanding, a whole different way. And sometimes John, the um, revelation comes to him. He steps back in time, which we're going to see here, to bring a fuller context of what he's saying. He just doesn't go chronically. He steps back in time, right, for us to have fuller knowledge. All right, so hold on here. Don't uh, uh, just step in. Let the Lord um, speak to you here from his word. Verse 11, then I saw, right, heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Um, obviously this is Jesus. He's on his white horse. This is again prophesied in the Old Testament. This is a glorious picture, uh, prophetic picture of when Jesus comes, right? When he says he comes with all of heaven's angels, right? In the gospels, right? In the end. Um, Now listen to this, verse 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white, pure, were following him on white horses. Who is that? I just want to explode your mind. That's you. If you know Jesus, that's you. And not just you, but the armies of heaven, also the angels. And, and you can write down um, Psalm uh, um, chapter 2 as well as Revelation chapter 2. Uh, earlier in this book, when he gave a promise to the church, he promised, right, the reigning. He promised this reigning over the nations to his church when the nations are restored. Um, This is all part of your heritage. This is all part of your identity. This is all part of training now for reigning then. Um, And to understand the end of the story. And so uh, listen to this. Verse 15. From his mouth, from Jesus, comes the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. 
And that is, folks, not physical sword. That is the word of God that created the earth in the very beginning. John chapter 1 is by the word of God. Jesus, the logos of God, that things were spoken into being. When Jesus shows up, there is no battle. It's done. The power of his word brings, right, truth, the reality of truth. And folks, in a culture today, right, where we're flooding around with truth, and oh, I mean, your truth is your truth, my truth. When Jesus shows up, folks, there's going to be this biggest smack of reality that truth is important, and truth is a name. His name is Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the life, right? Um, if you know him, and even if you don't, right, there's going to be a harsh reality in the end. And the goal right now is that God is waiting. Right? He's waiting for the church to carry out its mission among every tongue, tribe, and nation to bring the good news, the gospel message, the glorious message, so all people have a chance right, to come to the knowledge of who Jesus is, ultimately. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. I mean, it sounds like something out of the Lord of the Reigns, doesn't it? And uh, that's exactly any great epic story of good versus evil and final judgment flows from the main story that we're living in here, the history, right, of the world. Um, But folks, this is your story. This is your identity. And we're to hold tight to this, right? It says against, uh, verse 20, it says, and the beast, and again, if you've been with us, the whole book of Revelation, the whole New Testament speaks about in the end, there'll be one. He's labeled the beast, but he's the world ruler that brings it all together, that looks really flashy and wonderful, brings peace, has power. The false prophet is a political leader who, who combines apostate religion and politics and, and brings this, this, this control over the nations, brings the nations together, and ultimately slowly moves towards aligning those nations against the kingdom of God and ultimately against Zion, right? Against Jerusalem. Again, folks, there's only one nation that God kept for himself and it was Israel. It's the longest lasting nation in the history of the world. I don't know what politics that you were given in your high school, but I can promise you if you were trained in any uh, upper education in America is that you were given a worldly understanding of Israel and, um, and uh, it is the apple of God's eye. He has a future and a plan for it. It's clear in the Bible and the promise to Abraham was anybody who curses Israel, watch out, you're on the wrong side of history. And this has been proven out time and time again right, with, that, with that nation itself. And we are grafted in, right? This is the whole gospel into the Messiah coming from the early Christians or all Jews. We've been grafted into the great inheritance and all of the promises of God in the Old Testament, everything are yes to us now because of Jesus, right? And this blending of Jew and Gentile into the family of God, which is the great mystery that Paul preached about, right, in the, uh, in the New Testament, 
Verse 20, and the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who was in his presence who had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Wow, kind of a wild uh, uh, picture there. The thing I just want to point out here, folks, is deception. And I just want to give you a heads up. Folks, we're in a period right now in our nation where there's more deception going on than ever before. The work of this, is, and it's not some political thing. There's deception across all political parties and everything. It is just heavy in our culture everywhere. Uh, recently, even this last week, talking to some people who are involved in legal things and political things, is they've never seen, um, matter of fact, their words were, they don't trust anything any longer. There's a level of deception at work, folks, that's spiritual. And um, we have to watch and be aware, right, of the level of deception that is going on. Our trust cannot be in the checks and bad. doesn't matter how good the politics are. doesn't matter. And again, don't get me wrong. We work. We're to be in the world, working, serving, right? But our hope, right? And to realize that no politics is going to fix the world, there's only one thing that's going to fix the world, and it's the gospel. And it's the coming one, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to establish his kingdom. And that is where we're to camp out as God's people, right? As his church. That is to be our, our priority, what informs us. All right, here we go. Now, what is happening in verse 20? Just like in chapter 16 and others, is that now the revelation, this isn't just chronology, is he stepping back. Now he just threw the false prophet, right, into, and the beast into the, uh, uh, did judgment on them, but it hasn't said anything about Satan, about the king, the the great deceiver himself, um, Satan himself. And so now he's stepping back, right, to give us a larger picture here of Satan's role in the world and among the nations and everything else. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, real quick, folks, is nowhere in Revelation are numbers ever literal. They are all symbolic, prophetic things, right? And again, that first position up there takes a very literal view of everything and you just can't do it with uh, apocalyptic language even going back to the old testament and remember in second peter um peter says right one day is a thousand years to god a thousand years is one day psalm 90 says basically the same thing back in the old testament right and so he's stepping back giving us a larger purview that somewhere in heaven, somehow, right, Satan was bound for a thousand years and he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not, now here's very key, he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now I could give the, the details of, of trying to work all this out. You got to dig in. Right? And man, let's, let's dive in, right? And, and go after it. This isn't just for theologians. This is given for any child of God. This is your destiny. And, and uh, the end of Daniel in the Old Testament says, those who will seek, they will find. And as the time comes, greater revelation, right, is going to be given to his people to understand these things, right? And um, so, real quick, what is this speaking about? Just like he's done in chapter 12, chapter 16 in Revelation, you step back, give a fuller, when did this binding take place? Um, well, what we see is um, when Jesus was 
came to earth. Remember, he was taking his temptation. Satan said, hey, here are all the kings. Lord. Just bow before me. I'll give them to you. And Jesus held up under that temptation. And at the cross, at his resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of sin and the power of death. No longer can Satan come and accuse the brethren. It's like, all, like in the book of Job in the Old Testament, the Satan's job was coming and accusing you before God. Ah, right? And calling curses upon you, right? In the spiritual realm and authority, he no longer can do that because God is taking care of that if you're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're covered, right? Set free from that. In Luke 10, he gives, he says, I tells the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning, right? You will have authority now to tread on serpents, Right, as you carry out your identity as, a, as one who brings light into darkness and pushes back the darkness and the deception in the world right, from the enemy. Um, and then it says that a thousand years, so what is this thousand years? It's not a literal thousand years like no numbers in Revelation are. It's the period of the church age. We're in it now. Jesus, something radical happened at his resurrection. All time changed because death is defeated. Right? And what did he say? He said, John the Baptist, he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but, um, but, uh, but far inferior. And there was even the least, he says, in the kingdom of God, after the Holy Spirit's come into our life and into the church, even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Whoa! Something radical has happened. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. He inaugurated a millennial kingdom that we're in right now. And as somewhere, as Thessalonians says, somewhere towards the end is that restrainer as it's talking about that, the release. And they don't look at, again, this is language. It just says that God has put a restraint on the enemy when it comes to his specific role in uniting the nations against God and against Israel. When the time comes and that release is gone, Satan will come in a great power and not only against them, but against the church. There'll be, as the whole book of Revelation is, time of tribulation, time of persecution, is that he will rally the nations against God's people. And we will see that take place, right? Um, it also talks about the man of lawlessness. Who is that, that um, world leader in the end will come and, and have an impact, right, in the world. Um, and then when he's released to do that, right, is that uh, uh, this is, he, and he, that's the battle of Armageddon. One battle, one final thing, when Jesus comes back with the armies of heaven to have one final battle, that he's going to obviously bring judgment and that he brings in the kingdom of God onto this earth, right? It's not some confusing trying to fit pieces together with some millennial reign that God uh, brings to the earth. And then we have another big battle um, that that's just pre-millennial um, thought. Okay? But look at this. Verse 4. Now he's still, he's still talking in the past and giving us a larger purview before he comes back to looping in Satan's role in the battle of Armageddon, which we just read about at the end of 19. And he says, Then I saw thrones seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Who's he speaking about there? It's you. And you can write down Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Not only does Jesus say he shares the throne with his father, but you know, he says, if you know him, he seated you with him on his throne. Wow, that's pretty radical, isn't it? He's transformed, the gospel transformed you folks so you can reign and rule. But look at this, what time period is this speaking about? Also, I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who'd not worshiped the beasts so he starts in the past, moves up to the present, and um, speaking about those who had not given in to the world system, to Babylon, right? But had held firm. 
They came to life and they reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection. Oh, what's going on here? And folks, here's what's so radically changed. We have so done an injustice when it comes to understanding what happens when a believer dies. Paul uses language, you fall asleep. Hebrews chapter 12 says that great cloud of witnesses, why we're to be faithful as a church. We've got the great cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on and that is even now reigning and ruling with Christ in heaven. So do you realize that my role here in this earth through the gospel is to, to, to reign as the church body. We're to reign and rule, bring kingdom of God into the dark places of this world through the love of God, right? Not through force, but through laying our life down and being persecuted just like he did. For the kingdom of God. And that when we die. We don't just enter into some kumbaya. Twiddling our thumbs until Jesus is done. We go and we move even in a greater position. Into reigning and ruling with Christ. In heaven where he is. Where the throne room of God exists today. Which will come right again. Right to this earth. Okay. And the idea of the first resurrection, so much we can say about there, is again, the alma of this last position, the inaugurated millennium that we're in it now, it just makes things simple. It brings, to, and it highlights the big important things to hold on to, is the idea of the resurrection. When are we going to get our new body and everything? It's in this process somewhere. But to try to put a scheme in these other two, it just doesn't work, right? So, listen to this. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Of such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. In other words, we're in that right now. We're to be reigning as priests to God now. If you've been redeemed, that's your identity, meaning what? We're to worship God. We come to church to worship him. Ministering to God is worship. We're to bring a living sacrifice to him, right? He is at the center of all that we are, and then the priestly duty is to bring that goodness to others. It's the vertical first, and then the horizontal um, blessing. I just want to throw this quote up. This is um, something Tim Keller recently wrote about the church, the state of the church today. And says this, they become most exercised and emotional, not in worship, but over flashpoint political and cultural issues. That is a sign of a spiritual vacuum on Christians' lives and emptiness. Wow. So folks, again, what Keller is saying and what I think we all know is we need an an awakening in God's house. Among those who claim to know him, right? What makes you most excited? What do you spend your time debating about, getting angry about, getting feisty about? Don't get me wrong, we're to be involved in politics. But I'm here to tell you that if I have more passion about my politics then I do the kingdom of God and Jesus' glorious reign and the gospel itself and highlighting who Jesus is, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. And the church today is in big trouble. Our prayer needs to be for crosses that we're a people who, when we gather at the center of what we do, is we exalt the name Jesus. We exalt the gospel that is capable of doing all things are possible with the gospel, right? We lift him high. Right? And we encourage prophetically and otherwise each other to build each other up in the faith, in our identity and who we are. And that transfers to our children, hopefully. And uh, so we can go out and be salt and light. So we can bring the hope of God. And so that when conversation gets crazy out there, is that we can be what? A peaceful, joyful, powerful, 
catalyst to step in and change, to bring the goodness of God, the hope of Jesus into that conversation and hopefully change right the atmosphere that is what we're called to do is be witnesses those who hold the beginning part of chapter 19 revelation the testimony of jesus is a spirit of prophecy we testify about him we uphold him that's what i get excited that's what we should be getting us excited to talk about and we should bring that in right to all areas of discussion so um, blessed and holy are those who share in the first, this is verse 6, resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Just that concept of, do you realize that even now, your identity is to reign and rule with Jesus? That's not with a club, that's not with political power. It's with the Holy Spirit. It's in the spiritual realm. This is training time for reigning in the new heavens and new earth. And if you have loved ones, all those in the past who've died, who know Jesus, who are in heaven right now, they're not just sitting around. They're reigning and ruling at the throne of God, preparing to come and meet us in the air with white horses as we come in with Jesus to make all things new right in this world. Now, now he's given us enough background we could come and understand. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for the battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, for fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, right, and the prophet were. And they will be tormented their day and night forever. Hallelujah. It's the word of God. Okay, I think that's probably enough to chew on. That's the quickest I've ever had to talk about the millennium ever, right? But folks, where I want to circle back on is this idea of story in the gospel, right? It's a story. The gospel is what when we're saved, we're brought into God's kingdom, right? Colossians 1, 13 and 14 is that he has rescued us. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, the world, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his son, right? And it's in that kingdom to be as God's people that we gather together and we, what? We reign and rule the goodness and grace of God with the gospel message that trans, tra- changes everything. And so I just give these to you. There's so many passages. The gospel reveals our true identity, folks. Um, nothing. If you have the gospel, you have everything you need. And the lie that's creeping around is, oh, oh, oh I need this, I need that. Hey, there's lots of things that can help us and bless us. But I want to be real clear. The gospel is all you need for anything in your life. Otherwise, I'm saying, Jesus, your sacrifice was not good enough for my issue. Right? Faith has to rise among God's people. uh, Renewal and revival only happens when there's a restoration to the glory of the gospel, the power, right, of the gospel, and to understand our identity in that. And man, as we talked about the first service, I mean, our young people are desperate for these things. Someone to speak into their life truth, who they are, how God loves them, has a plan for their life, and has a great inheritance of how they're to live moving forward, right? The gospel secures our place in God's family. Every question, the deepest 
parts of being wanting to be a part of family and connect and relationship and intimacy, all that, God answers. Gospel plus nothing. If you have Jesus, you have his church, you have his family, you need nothing else. And um, the gospel transforms us to reign and rule, right, with Christ. Just, I, I just give a few passages here. It fills the Old Testament of Psalm 2, and you've been brought into that. And what it means to reign and rule, man, we don't even have time to break that down, right? Obviously, it's not through politics, It's through the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the incredible gospel to people among the Great Commission is among all nations. And then Jesus says the end will come when my church in the millennium has carried out their task to reign and rule with the gospel on this earth among all nations so that all my people from every tongue, tribe, and nation can come into the fold. Then I will come. Then I will release the evil one again to come and deceive the nations for the great battle. Right, that will take place. So just, uh, Derek, you can come on up. I, I, I just want to encourage us. Um, for lack of terminology, and all through this series, I've been encouraging us. One of the things that fleshes out of Revelation is, um, again, the promise to those who hold it and keep it, right, is to be a prophetic people. And uh, you might get tired of hearing that language. I, I'm going to just keep hammering it home until we become that. <laughs> That's our inheritance First Corinthians 14, it says earnestly, above all, go after this. But I know there's confusion around that. It means to be available to reign and rule. Part of that inheritance is to bring, be available. God, what can I bring to this person to encourage them, lift them up, build their faith up, set their identity? And folks, this is ideally what a parent is to do, is to speak the promises, not just our love over our children and our expectations, but more important to speak God's love over them, to speak God's destiny over them, to speak the promises of God over them, right? That they would be built up in their faith and who, how God, the fullness, right, of, of who they are. The power of that, right? I mean, all of us, I hope, just you've had somebody speaking to your life. I, I hope it's tragic, the number of people who've been in church and never had someone prophesy over them. Lovingly, hear what God has to say and to speak that maybe sometimes very detail into your life or just spend time with you, encouraging you in how God sees you and bringing the word of God to bear on that. This is to be the life of the church, is to do that with each other, right? And the word says they're to strengthen, encourage, and exhort each other in that, right? Um, and, and that's parenting. That, that's the power of parenting, right? Because I think we all could give testimony of having some lies, some ugly stuff said over us. We know the power of that. Only the gospel can restore and completely turn that right in a person's life. So um, the first service I just shared, I, you know, I thought about this and it just kind of came to me out of nowhere. Just uh, one of the many times that I've been blessed to have somebody speak over my life. And, and, and folks, just the power of that, right? And to take time with me and then to hear from God and speak in right to my life. And, um, and I, I specifically want to bring up um, his name, um, he's 88 years old, I think, now. His name is Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, he's a famous preacher, and um, probably his sermons around the world more than anybody today. He's just resigned last year, and I want to say this to honor him, because in this age where you have fallen pastor after fallen pastor, I want to honor this man that I got to serve under. He has served faithfully. He's finished well. The kingdom of God, pre- never waffling on the gospel of the kingdom, Right? And his son is Andy Stanley. And anyway, um, so I got to serve under him as singles pastor. And 
Uh, we were going through a real tough time in the life of the church. It was so bad that I had to preach one Sunday. It was my first time to preach at the church. 5,000 people, ugly. Woo. And um, so what happened was he, he had no time. He was president of Southern Baptist Convention. He had, thousands, he had lots going on around the world. He called me into his office and he listened to my sermon. Played it back in that day. It was VHS. A little TV on his desk. Put that in. Took a yellow pad and for two hours, watched my sermon and talked to me about the honor of preaching God's word. But it didn't stop there, right? And, and, and number one, I, I was just like always, hey, are you, you, you know, like really? Are you taking this time, right? And then he starts flipping it and speaking personally into my life. He got up from his desk and he had this amazing office. <clears throat> And he went, and he, part of his office, he had a little door, not a little door, just a door that went into a little prayer room, private room, closed off from any noise, any social media. And he had me follow him in there. He got on his knees. And the first thing he did, we closed the door behind us. I don't even remember how long we were in there. But the first thing he did was he took us to heaven, right? He just started worshiping God. He started worshiping God, giving God credit. And then he flipped, then he started praying God's blessings over me. I'll never forget as long as I live how that just, and still some of those very specific things are a deep part of my life. Folks, the power of that, that is prophecy, the testimony of Jesus taking the gospel, the truth of God and speaking it personally, leading God, Lord, what needs to be said into this person right now to build them up, to strengthen them, Right? It changes lives. And folks, if our young people, I, I, I look at the confusion, the anxiety, the, 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 when you throw out that big question we started with, what are you going to do with your life? Man, most people are like, ah, it just makes me anxious thinking about it. We shouldn't be anxious, we should be excited. We're the people who should step into people's lives and say, hey, let me tell you what, God, you know, let me just, let's pray. And folks, that, that just that whole thing this week even convicted me. How many times do I say, hey man, let's get on our knees. Let's just worship God. Let's see what God is going to say to us in this situation, right? Can you imagine a church that did that? Imagine if we started just living in that. Wow, that's loving one another. Because that's letting God right, speak through us. So Father, um, thank you for this man, Lord, that you've used mightily. And Lord, he... <laughs> Little, little old me, he took time. Wow. Multiply that testimony, Lord. Thank you for his faithfulness with the gospel and ministry, God. Nobody's perfect, but God faithful is another thing. And Lord, I just pray your spirit upon us here this morning. Let us be those people, Lord. Embrace the gospel as we're walking in our destiny. Be a prophetic people, Lord, who long to hear from you and speak your truth boldly into people's lives. And our children, Lord, that the children of the church, Lord, let them just be flooded, Lord, with encouragement. Bolster them and strengthen them, Father. Lord, we love you. Let's enjoy you. Lift up your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.